for leading us so well this morning, just bringing us back into the truth of who our great God is. Um, it is a privilege to be back here at South. Uh, as Pastor Glenn asked me on dates, you know, we communicate back and forth because I travel for a living and I'm on the road about 50% of the time. I'm always excited when the dates work out for me to be able to, uh, to um, fill in these places for Willow and to help out in the way, whatever way I can. Um, my role is, is I travel and visit churches to a small denomination called Associated Gospel Churches of Canada and try to help pastors and church boards and leaders to uh, um, fulfill the mission that God has given to them. And, and I love the prayer time that we just had this morning for the two individuals who are going off. And, and the truth is, as Josh mentioned, we are, they're both going on mission. I mean, we live life missionally because as followers of Jesus Christ, we serve him wherever he would call us to go. And if that means we go overseas to be involved in some kind of missions adventure, we do that. If he calls us here to work and to have our existence here, then we do that, but that's on mission as well. And so I was just encouraged by the, the church coming forward to pray for those individuals. And uh, I just want to bless you in that because I think that's part of what we as a church family should be doing is supporting each other in this way as we do venture out on the mission, whatever that is that God has in store for us in the days that are currently here, as well as the days that lie yet ahead in front of us. Um, I listened, uh, went online because I, I knew that uh, Pastor Glenn was going to be speaking last week on the passage just previous, and so I went online, listened to Pastor Glenn's message last Sunday, and, and then went last night to uh, Willow 33 to listen to Pastor Phil as he unpacked some of the same stuff from where we're going, and, and just wanting to um, fill in where, where we can in this passage, which is so as Phil mentioned last night, it's so deeply theological, and yet we want to understand it in a way that applies to our everyday lives right here and right now, and so we hope to do that. One of the key things that we're going to see as we unpack this passage is that it's filled with relationship, which again, the songs that we sang this morning were clearly driving our hearts to that truth that we have a God who longs to continue to walk with us in relationship with us, and yet that's the challenge, isn't it? And so on... uh, March the 1st of this year, we had our fifth grandchild born to us here in Kelowna, and we watched as our daughter, um, over nine months, as her belly grew and as this child was being shaped and formed within her, and yet even those songs that we were singing this morning, I was reminded again that we serve a God who knit Sawyer together in my daughter's womb in the recent past nine months. And as I watched that child develop and saw that he was growing... I was amazed at this miracle that was happening within her physical body, but it just pales yet in how intimate our God is. That he knew everything about this little boy named Sawyer before he ever came out of the womb and graced our lives with his presence. And so now he's just, you know, coming up two months old. And and so over the past couple of weeks, as I've been going over to Laura May's house to visit uh, before I pick up my wife, which is kind of my routine. I drop her off at work when I'm home, here at home, and then I, I work in my office at the house, and then at the end of my day, I, I try to go over to see Laura May and her children for a bit before I go and pick up my wife. Well, Sawyer was wide awake this one afternoon, and, and he was ready to communicate. And so he sat there and, and just looked up at me and just started making all those baby kind of noises. And yet it was clear from him that he wanted to communicate. And so I would just talk back about whatever. I could tell him the price of gas in Kelowna. And, you know, he might go, oh, oh, you know, and be quite amazed. I can tell him about, uh, you know, his sister, who uh, sometimes is a joy and sometimes a pain right now in his little life. 
and I could tell him about uh, how wonderful his mom is. I could tell him all kinds of things, but he just wanted to communicate. And I was driven back as I was preparing for this message about the truth that we have a God who longs to communicate with us. Every single day that we are in existence, you and I have a Heavenly Father who truly longs to communicate with us. And as we read these few short verses in Romans 9, if you have your Bibles or your devices, I invite you to open up to Romans, or Romans 8, I mean. Um, we're going to read verses 9 through to 11. And I want us to see right from the get-go um, this idea of relationship. Because it, it just, I, I can't read these verses, I can't read the chapter uh, of Romans 8 without hearing over and over and over again this picture of there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they have relationship together. But in their love for us, They want our relationship with them to grow. And so let's just listen to Romans 8, starting at verse 9. And I'm reading from the ESV. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So right away, we hear that that idea of relationship, that picture of relationship there between the Spirit and us. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, and so there we already have the Trinity. We have the Spirit, we have God, and we have Christ. Whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's relationship. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, that's relationship. Although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, relationship, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. All right. Let me see if we just can't unpack some of these ideas. I want to just take each verse, all three of them, and one at a time begin to say, okay, what's this saying to us? So verse 9, it says, if the Spirit of God lives in you, well, then that's all about relationship, okay? If the Spirit of God lives in you. He says it so clearly. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Paul makes it clear to these believers in Rome that they do have the Holy Spirit. Because previous to that, he was unpacking some other things. And here he wants them to clearly hear from his voice to their hearts. I know that you have relationship with the Spirit of God. That is great. What this does, though, and whether this was Paul's clear intention or not, I'm not sure. But what it clearly does, though, is it moves the discussion away from some kind of religious effort to please God. Paul isn't saying, well, if you be good for a long period of time, then you will have a relationship with God because he'll be pleased by you being so good for so long that then he'll probably have a relationship with you. That's not what the Bible says anywhere, let alone right in this verse. Paul, I think, wants things to be crystal clear that I can't please God by my good deeds apart from the Spirit of God being at work in me and through me. So in other words, I can't be good enough, long enough, for God to be impressed by me. I impress God. Now listen to this, because I think this is important for us to understand this morning. I impress God when I come to Him and clearly tell Him that I need Him. That I can't do this life that He's calling me to do without Him. He then says, that's fantastic. I am so pleased with you, not because you've made some great religious effort, but rather what you've done is you've come to me in relationship and said, I need you. 
And it's a beautiful picture that he invites us into because he says, as we continue to have that relationship develop, what happens is the doors of possibility get wide open then of what God could do both in us and through us for his glory, which is what our lives are to be about. It's a great thing. And so let's be clear, and you've heard this before, I know from Pastor Glenn, that Christianity is not about religious behavior. It's about having a personal relationship with the one true living God who loves us in the most remarkable of ways. As we make our way through these verses, verses 9, 10, and 11, there's two extremes that I'm concerned about as, as I read through that and think about it. And... Um, the one extreme is that, you know, we're going to talk about this life being a spirit-led kind of life where we entrust ourselves to God in such a way that we allow the spirit of God to work in us and through us. But part of my concern when as soon as we say a spirit-led life is this idea that we can move to kind of a, a willy-nilly way of approaching life. We just say, well, I'm just going to be spirit-led. I, I don't need to read the Bible or have any kind of relationship with God through his word. I'm just going to be led by the spirit. We'll talk about that in a moment. The other concern that I have from that one extreme of saying, well, I don't need to do any of that stuff because I'm just going to be spirit-led, is the other extreme on the other side of that when we say, well, what I want to do is I want to make sure I'm checking all of the boxes of the things that we as Christians should or should not be doing. And that becomes a legalistic approach to living our lives. We want a list that makes it clear like being here this morning, I'm in church this morning, it's Sunday, I check off that box that I've done a good thing by being in church. If I don't get to church, well then I've, I've probably messed up and that's a, an X in my box. I read my Bible sometime during the week, maybe even every single day, and so I check the box and say, well look at me, I'm a good Christian because I've read my Bible. And we've moved it out of the realm of saying, I hunger to have relationship with Jesus Christ, Two, I hunger to do the list of things that I think will gain approval in the spiritual realm. So those are my two concerns that I want to try and bring back into the very center of how we're supposed to live our lives as we look upon this idea of the Spirit of God living in me, then I have relationship with Him. So Paul wants his readers to know that he sees them clearly as being indwelt by the Spirit because he says, you, however, verse 9, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. Paul sees that. Now, this idea of being in the Spirit was not uniquely something that Paul talked about, but it goes back to when Jesus was actually on the earth talking to his disciples. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to the Gospel of John, where we see Jesus unpacking this news that at first they're not very happy about hearing. In John chapter 7, starting at verse 33, we hear Jesus tell them how things are going to change. And so in John chapter 7, verse 33, it says, Jesus then said, I will be with you. He's talking about how he's going to ultimately be crucified and leave. So he says in verse 33, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. In other words, he's going back to be with the Father. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. So this is not sounding like good news for the disciples. Verse 33, the Jews said to one another, or verse 35, the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Well, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, if anyone hungers, thirsts, he's talking here again about relationship. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now listen to this. Verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Turn over to the same Gospel, John chapter 14. Again, we see Jesus unpacking what is going to happen as he leaves and he sends them this person who's going to indwell them, which Paul refers to in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. So in John chapter 14, starting at verse 15, we read this. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, remember one of my concerns was that we move to a willy-nilly approach. I'm just going to be led by the Spirit. But Jesus here says, if we're in relationship with each other, if you love me, then you're going to obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now that's a miracle that I can't explain to you this morning. I don't know how that actually happens. But I do know that the Bible makes it clear that when we enter into, when we confess our sins, talk to God about our need to have relationship with him, that we can't be religious enough, good enough, long enough to please him, and we cry out to him and say, God, I want you, then the Bible says that he implants or it puts within us the Holy Spirit. And I don't know how that happens. It's a miracle. It is just a miracle. But Jesus taught it here in the Gospels as well, that we are going to receive the Spirit. And so in verse 18 of John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. All this relational components that he's teaching here. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. That's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit again. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but, here's again, that teaching that Jesus is giving that coincides with exactly what Paul was teaching, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach you all things. If I ignore the Bible and say that I'm just going to live a spirit-led life, I err in two ways. First of all, I need the Bible to actually teach me more about Jesus Because this is a relationship. So I need God's word. I need to get to know it more and more. Because through getting to know it more and more, I'm going to get to know him. It's a relationship. And then secondly, if I'm being led by the Spirit, then Jesus himself said that the Spirit would lead us into all truth. In other words, the Spirit of God, I want you to listen very carefully to this, The Spirit of God will lead us to the Word of God so that we can better know the Son of God. Let me say that to you again. The Spirit of God will lead us to the Word of God so that we can know the Son of God. It's a relational combination. 
And so if I say I'm going to be spirit-led, one of the ways in which you can test on whether we are being spirit-led or not is am I getting into God's word? Because the spirit will lead me to the word of God because this is where the truth of Jesus is revealed. And so the spirit of God will lead me to the word of God so that I can better know the son of God. So the question that is raised here in verse 9 is truly a question about relationship. Paul tells them that we are either controlled by that sinful nature that we have or we're controlled by the Spirit. And that's that ongoing reality that we live with. Back in chapter 7, Paul had written much about how he wanted to please God, but he struggled. And there was times when he clearly didn't do the very good thing that he thought he should be doing, but instead he did the thing that he didn't want to be doing. And as Christians, if you've lived a a Spirit-filled life for any length of time, you know that tension. You can start your day with the best of heart and you can get into God's word and read what it has to say. And you can say, well, today I'm going to walk with God all day long. And then all of a sudden something goes awry and you're going, I didn't plan to do that. Knowing that it's a sinful activity, whatever it may be. Lose our temper, uh, uh, get involved in something that we know is clearly not of God, whatever the case may be. We didn't start our day planning to sin. But we sinned. And Paul in Romans chapter 7 confesses so clearly to us even he struggled with this reality. And so at the end of chapter 7, he, conf- he announced, he says, who's going to rescue me from this? And he says, thanks be to God. There's hope in him. It's relationship again, though. It's relationship. What Paul points us to in verse 9 is this idea that it's not about religious activity that will please our Father but rather it's about growing in our relationship with him. And again, love the worship songs this morning because they spoke so clearly about that idea of wanting to worship a God who is worthy as we have relationship with him. This presence gives us the day-by-day resource. The Holy Spirit's presence gives us the day-by-day resource to fight the spiritual battle that we are all engaged in till we take our last breath here on this earth and go into eternity. So verse 9, we're not in the flesh, we're in the spirit, if, the, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit does not belong to him. So clear. I either have a relationship with God or I don't have a relationship with him. Verse 10, here's another tension for us. So we got the tension of, uh, of that spiritual battle that rages within us of, of knowing, yeah, I'm part of God's family, but sometimes I just don't do what I want to do, the right things that I should do. And so there's that reality of, of being filled and led by the spirit, but then walking sometimes in the wrong pathways. Verse 10, he says, but if Christ is in you, and he's already told those people at Rome that he is, that Christ is in them, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, what is that about? If the body is dead and there's life, how does that all work? Well, it's another set of tensions, just like verse 9 had a set of tensions. Well, verse 10 does too. If I have the spirit within me, what does he mean then about my body being dead? Well, one commentator said this, He said that this could be paraphrased. These verses could be paraphrased this way. And he said, and I quote, If Christ dwells within you, then while your body is still subject to that temporal death, which is the consequence of sin, the spirit who has taken up his abode within you, the living and quickening spirit, imparts to you that eternal life, which is the consequence of justification. Let me take you back to my grandson Sawyer. So on March 1st, he entered this world. Came out of his mother's womb, took his breath, breathed, and began to live and die. 
Because the moment he took his first breath, he was living to the point where he's going to die. It's the reality of our lives, right? We are all in the process of these physical bodies giving up ultimately. And so Sawyer has this body that is going to take him to the point where he will ultimately die. Because that's our physical bodies, our limitations. When Sawyer, and we will continue to pray to this end, when he takes that moment in his life when his eyes are open spiritually and he says, I want Jesus Christ as my Savior, then at that point the Bible says clearly that the Spirit of God comes to indwell him. At that point, then there's this change that happens because his physical body's still going to die. Verse 10 tells us that. But we have within us now the Spirit of God living within us, which has changed our lives so that spiritually we have the eternal hope of heaven. Eternal life with our God. And so that reality of the tension that we have a physical body that, that is ultimately going to lead us and... and uh, I just turned 61 this month, and so I know the reality that the end is closer to me than the beginning. That's just a reality. I don't do some of the things I once did. This week I'm going to go golfing, and I just know that when I wind up to hit that golf ball, I don't hit it as far as I once did. Why? Because I'm older, and my body isn't as strong as it once was. All a reminder that... I live with that tension of the reality that this body is dying, but inside I have a spirit that's being renewed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, giving me the hope that I have eternal life. Looking ahead. All the time, this is our reality. And the sooner we come to that point of of saying to our God, I want you as my Savior, then the sooner we understand that tension of realizing that this life is not all that there is, But because of the very presence of the Holy Spirit living within me, I have the hope of eternal life. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Romans 6, 23, tell us clearly that the wages of sin is death. It's clear that because of our sinful human nature, it's just the reality of, of our existence. The wages of sin is death. It's the consequence of the fall. I mean, from the time of Adam right up to now, it's still the same for every one of us that this body is going to die. But in the midst of that, we have the hope and the opportunity of having a personal relationship with our God. So in verse 9, we have the tensions. In verse 10, we have the tensions of this body being dead, but our spirit being alive. And they dwell within the same person, each one of us, as we have relationship with Jesus Christ. So, verse 9, two tensions. Verse 10, two tensions. What's going on in verse 11? So in verse 11, Paul unpacks and he says... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead... Notice that he's saying if in each one of those verses. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's furthering what chapter or what verse uh, 10 had to say. Paul wants to encourage the Roman believers with this hope that if the spirit of God is within you, your future is secure. Paul affirmed them in verse 9 that they did have the Spirit. In verse 10, he announces that reality of the tension between our physical bodies and then our spiritual being. And then in verse 11, he gives them this hope. Jesus, again, gives us the model of what this resurrection is all about. And so, turn back to Luke chapter 24, where we see Jesus, after he has been crucified, has been in the tomb, and has now rose again. 
we see what actually our physical bodies are going to be like at the resurrection. Jesus unpacks it for us. He gives us the illustration of it by his very own physical being after he has been crucified in the tomb and rose again. So this is the resurrected Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 24 and verse 36. It says, after they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that as I myself touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when, they had said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. A picture of of what our resurrected bodies are going to be like and capable of. He stood amongst them. He he talked to them. He said, touch my hands, touch my feet. You saw me when I was on the cross. You saw me crucified. He's risen again. And then he says, give me something to eat. And so we're not disembodied spirits that are going to be floating around with the resurrected bodies. That's not the picture of Scripture. The picture of Scripture is that we have these bodies that have been renewed by God's miracle again of how he's going to change us verse 10 we have these decaying bodies verse 11 we have the hope of a new life we have the hope of eternal life we have the hope of having our physical bodies resurrected by god's power by his authority by only his ability to do that and we will have a eternity that our bodies will be good for and there will be no more decay and Revelation tells the great story of how there's going to be no more crying or mourning or pain. There'll be no more weakness, no more getting up in the morning and thinking, I didn't have that pain before that I had this morning that I never had before. They're resurrected bodies. They're perfect by God's design, by God's plan. And Paul gives them this clear hope in verses 9, 10, and 11. Even though we're living with these tensions, we have this hope. And the key to the whole thing is this understanding of God's spirit being at work in our lives. How does that work? When the same author wrote in Galatians chapter 5, and he said to them, since we live by the Spirit, in other words, our, our souls by virtue of God's Holy Spirit being at work and transforming us, since we live by the Spirit, he says to the church, uh, to the Galatians, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's your opportunity and my opportunity day by day. That as we wake up and as we start our day, no matter where we are, we are on mission that day to walk with our God. And what the calling of God is, the invitation, he says, is stay in step with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. And it's not a list of do's and don'ts. I can't give you five things to do so that you'll be in step with the Spirit and five things to avoid so that you don't be in step with the Spirit. You have to figure that out in an ongoing uh, way because it's a relationship. But one of the clear things we need to understand is that the Spirit of God will always lead us to the Word of God and that's how we'll know that we're actually in step with the Spirit when we're working working through the passages that God gives to us in His Word so that we can know the Son of God better so that our relationship with him can be strengthened, so that we'd be more sensitive to him even in the moment by moment of our living our lives. And so we're always on mission in that sense. And so whether we're going into the coffee shop, into our workplace, to go and visit a a two-month-old baby, whatever the case may be, we want to be in step with the Spirit. And the more we get in tune with what his word has to say, the more we're going to recognize his voice in the day-to-day things that go on. This past winter, 
um, had the opportunity to speak at a men's retreat in Manitoba. Had a chance to, to meet in particular two different men who wrestled with two different things very strongly. The one gentleman, after a couple of days of being there, asked if he could just uh, talk for a while after one of my sessions, and I said, sure. And so we sat down, and he began to unpack his story. It was a horrendous story. As he began to tell me his story, which had started many, 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 many years ago, you could tell how fresh the pain still was. He's a Christian man with a wife and kids and living his life, and one day as he's backing out of his driveway, neighbor's five-year-old child goes by, and he hits him, kills him. And the grief is unbearable. He doesn't know how to cope with the pain that he's experienced and the pain that he feels he's inflicted on others by his accident. And so as the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months, he's still overwhelmed with his grief and, and he begins to drink just to try and calm the pain and deaden the pain. And the drinking carries on as the weeks turn into months and the drinking leads him away from his family and he ends up in an affair. And the affair costs him his marriage because his wife chooses to leave. The affair costs him his children because now they want nothing to do with their father who has broken the heart of their mother. And he unpacks this horrendous story of how one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And... As we sat there and chatted, I said to him, do you have any idea of how God looks at you right now? And he said, well, he's just so, so disappointed in me. I said, have you asked for forgiveness for the different... Oh, he's Russ, I've asked for forgiveness so many times, I can't tell you how many times I've asked God to forgive me. And I said, well, then what we need to do is you need to accept that forgiveness tonight. Because God's not holding that over your head, the mistakes that you've made. They're in the past. And you can't go back and change those. But what you can do is you can believe what God has to say about you today. And that's that he loves you. And and he said, I I just struggle with that so much because I've messed up so badly and I've made so many mistakes. And I said, yeah, those are all true. But you need to believe this truth. That right now, as God looks at you, he doesn't look at you as the man who made all these mistakes. He looks at you as the man that he loves passionately and wants to walk with right now today. So he prayed. That weekend was over on Sunday, and in the afternoon I flew to Toronto for some meetings down there. On Tuesday morning, my phone rang while I was at the meetings. I saw who it was, and so I walked into the meeting and answered it. It was the camp director who had invited me to come and speak, and he asked me, he said, you remember the guy? And told me the story. I said, yeah, yeah, I had a great conversation with him. He said, uh, earlier this morning, he had a massive heart attack and died. And I thought, wow. In the last weekend of that man's life, God had our paths intersect with each other. That was God's plan. I have no doubt about it. Because God wanted me to remind him that he was not a failure that could not be redeemed, recovered, restored, and walk again in the fullness of God's blessing. But that he was a man that God passionately loved. And we had that opportunity in that last weekend of his life to get some things straightened out before he entered into eternity with his good God. That same weekend, I had a man who was there, and he just looked like he wished he was, could be anyplace else other than there. And so as I spoke, I noticed that he never, ever had a Bible with him. 
he would sit there and there was tables set up for the, for the guys who were there and, and he looked like he was wishing he could be someplace else and all the worship songs that we sang, he never sang one of them and I just took note of them. I thought, I, I don't know why this guy's here. He clearly looks like he doesn't want to be here. So Saturday night after my session that night, he came up to me and, and he was just a blunt guy and he told a little bit of his story earlier that weekend that he was an American fellow and he'd been in the Vietnam War and... Um, and so he was, uh, as he began to unpack his story, he told me how he was so disappointed with God. And so he told me his story of what had, what had happened and how he'd prayed when he was fighting in Vietnam and, and how he'd seen God come through. And then he had one moment when he clearly needed God's help and he said, God didn't show up. And I said, well, at least in your eyes he didn't show up. And so he said to me, well, what would you say to a man who hasn't read his Bible in 50 years? And he was just that blunt kind of man. And so I thought I'd be blunt back to him. And I said, well, it's probably time to start he said, well, you don't know. And so as he began to tell all this story, I didn't know. But what I do know is that there's a God who loves that man. Even though for 50 years he's chosen, he said these words to me. He says, on that battlefield that day in Vietnam, he says, I disowned God. I said, that might be true, but you need to clearly hear this. God never disowned you. And I said, so tonight, if you want, God's arms are wide open and you can return home. So he said, well, I'll think about it. Early Sunday morning as I was getting ready for my next session, he called me into one of the side rooms and so I went off to the side room and I said, what's going on? And he said, uh, I just need you to know. He said, that last night after our conversation, he said, I asked God to forgive me for disowning him. And he says, my relationship with God is right again. After 50 years, amazing that this whole picture of relationship is this God, like the songs that we sang, you know, I'm going to knock the walls down, I'm going to turn the lights on, I'm going to come after you. And that weekend, God came after a man who had been disassociated with him for 50 years, and God had never once forgot about that guy, and for whatever reason, on that particular weekend, invited him to come to that camp where I had the opportunity to open up God's word, and he had the opportunity to come and talk to me, and then I had the pure joy of telling him that God is not lost from him. All he needs to do is ask for forgiveness to get it right again. What an incredible, incredible God we have. Sunday morning as we went through our last session together, I noticed that he had a Bible sitting in front of him at the table. And I noticed that he sang every single song that we sang as a worship group that Sunday morning with a way and an expression on his face that was so totally different than every other session that we'd been in that weekend as he sat there looking grumpy for the first number of sessions. God changes our lives when we embrace the relational aspect of his spirit indwelling us and walking with us and Paul's clear encouragement to us today is to stay in step with his spirit and so maybe today is the kind of day that you have been reminded of how important this relationship is and that it's not a religious thing and God's not keeping track with some list of things that you've either done right or done wrong But what he wants is for you to hunger and thirst after him in a way that is so deeply personal, so deeply relational, that day by day by day, he never ever forgets about you. He never loses track of where you are, what you're doing. He watches every single step that you would take. He's just waiting for us to put our hand in his spiritually and say, God, I'm yours. Take me this day, God. Use me for whatever you want. I'm totally yours. 
And the best life that I could see myself ever living is a life simply in step with your spirit, being obedient to what you've called me to do. Let me pray for us, and the band's going to come up and lead us in the last song as we wrap things up this morning. Let's pray together. Father, you and you alone, God, know where each and every one of us are here this morning. You know whether we've been trying to live this life in a legalistic fashion or whether we've just been living it fast and loose, saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't need church or the Bible very much. And you've reminded us again this morning, Father, of how your desire for us is for us to grow in relationship with you. Lord, we do that by being in step with your spirit, the spirit of the living God who indwells us, the spirit of the living God who calls to us, the spirit of the living God who may be leading us this morning to a point of repentance where we ask for your forgiveness and the re-blessing of your spirit being in control of our lives. As we sing this song, Lord, in conclusion, may our hearts truly rejoice within us at the incredible opportunity that we have to walk in step with your spirit this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.